All right, guys. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Drew. I always love to be at Salt Company with you guys. I'm one of the pastors of Salt City Church, and we're continuing our series through the Gospel of John tonight. And basically, tonight, we're running into kind of an interesting ending to John, where we're looking at this character who hasn't gotten much screen time in John, named Thomas. And Thomas is a skeptic, and he has some doubts about the Christian faith. And I think it's going to be helpful for us to look at Thomas because it's going to show us some of the complexity of our own hearts and why we wrestle with faith in Jesus. And at times, if we're honest with ourselves, we have doubts and anxieties and fears and those types of things. I would actually call Thomas kind of a skeptic. And as I was reading this story about Thomas, I was reminded of this quote by a famous author named C.S. Lewis. Some of you have heard of C.S. Lewis. He was a, an Oxford English professor, uh, wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, wrote a science fiction series. He actually did a history of um, English literature, and just very, very well-read, very smart guy. But one of the books that he wrote that's really interesting that maybe not as many people have read, is actually his autobiography, and it's called Surprised by Joy. And it's talking about his journey to the Christian faith. The interesting thing about C.S. Lewis is he didn't come to faith until he was about middle-aged, and so he spent about half of his life not a Christian. And so when he came to be a Christian, it was a long process, a long journey for him. And so I want to read you a quote where he's sort of looking back at his younger self and he's thinking about his atheism. This is what he wrote. Really, a young atheist cannot guard his faith too carefully. Dangers lie in wait for him on every side. You must not do, you must not even try to do, the will of the Father unless you are prepared to know of the doctrine. All my acts, desires, and thoughts were to be brought into harmony with universal spirit. For the first time, I examined myself with a seriously practical purpose, and there I found what appalled me. A zoo of lusts, a bedlam of ambitions, a nursery of fears, a harem of fondled hatreds. My name was Legion. Now you see what C.S. Lewis is saying. He's saying that as he looked back on his atheism, he saw that there was this complex dynamic to it. That there was sort of the intellectual battle that was going on in his mind, like the battle for the facts. And he was trying to look for reasons both to believe and not to believe. But there was also something deeper going on inside of his heart, and that was a desire to really continue to rule his own life. And as he looked back on it, he actually is saying that it was his desire to be his own man, to live his own way, that kept him from becoming a Christian even more than the facts of his faith. And as we look at this person, Thomas, in the Bible, essentially we're going to see this similar dynamic to his struggle for faith in Jesus. We're going to see a few different things, but... I think this big idea sort of encapsulates what we're going to talk about. And that's that Christian faith is a rational and difficult pursuit. Christian faith isn't a leap in the dark like people talk about. Christian faith 
involves your whole person, your whole being, your reason, your intellect, but it's actually something more than that, something deeper than that that we're also going to see in the text. So we're looking at John chapter 20, and we're just going to look at verses 24 through 31. John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Okay, so here's basically what we're going to look at. We're going to look at three surprising aspects of Christian faith that we don't often talk about. And so the first one we're going to look at is the rationality of faith. The second one is the difficulty of faith. And the third one is the pursuit of faith. So first, let's look at the rationality of faith. Okay, now that sentence might sound like an oxymoron to you because the way that Christian faith is often talked about is as turning your brain off. Like you want to believe in Jesus, just forget all the facts and just believe. But that's actually something very different than what's being described here in the life story of Thomas. We actually see in the passage that he's a skeptic. He spent three years with Jesus, walking with him, and yet he is still skeptical. So you look at Thomas and you're like, okay, this guy I can relate to. Somebody who's got some doubts, is skeptical about the faith. Okay? Now, in contrast to that, especially in school, math and science are seen as the most rational pursuits. So if Christian faith is sort of turning your brain off, then to pursue math and science is sort of to be rational and to believe the facts. But have you ever thought about it this way? That it actually takes faith to believe in science and that it actually takes facts to believe in Christianity. So in other words, people would, would have you believe in sort of a false dichotomy. Either you believe the facts and you have no faith, you're not one of those faith people, 
or you have faith and you conveniently ignore all the facts. Okay, here's what I'm saying when I say that faith is rational. That in order to have faith in a biblical sense, you can't ignore any of the facts. None of them. So anything that is actually a fact, for example, in the scientific world, as a Christian, what I'm telling you is, you should believe that that's true. And what I'm saying is that no scientist has enough facts that they don't have to have faith. Because what I'm describing faith as is filling in the gaps with trust. And so what I'm saying to you is what it really comes down to is who do you trust? And a question I have is, how would it be that you would come to trust Jesus more than you would trust the philosophies of science? And here's one of the ways I think that we see that in this text. There's actually, in this text, a thorough history of facts. I think there's a verifiable case for Jesus' resurrection from the dead and the fact that he is the Son of God found in this text. Okay, so here's what this text tells us happened. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on the cross in space, in time, in history. He was a real person. And after being dead for three days, he rose from death. That's what happened just before this. Then he appears to ten of the disciples. Judas had betrayed Jesus. Ten of the disciples were present in the room. I don't know where Thomas was. I like to think he was in the bathroom or something. He really missed out on this. And Jesus walks in the room. And I'm here, guys. I'm alive. Just like I told you, I was going to die, but death wouldn't be able to hold me. Now I'm alive. And I am God. These other disciples, they witnessed that. Thomas says, I don't believe you. What does he say? He's very much like a modern person, isn't he? Unless I touch, unless I see for myself, unless I have verifiable evidence, I'm not going to believe. Eight days later, Jesus shows up to Thomas and he says, do your experiment. Touch my hand. Look at my side. Put your hand here. Touch there. Now do you believe? And Thomas famously said, I believe that you're God. But there's a little bit more historical evidence if you sort of zoom out into the study of history beyond even this text. What we know about Thomas's life is that he actually became a missionary for Jesus. He's one of the disciples who traveled furthest to tell people about Jesus. And as far as we know, he spent a lot of his time starting in about AD 50 in India and then went to Syria 
to share the gospel of Jesus with people. And he was actually so zealous to tell people that Jesus had risen from the dead that he was martyred for it. He was killed for it. And that historical fact is recorded by this guy whose name was Ephraim the Syrian. And he was a Syrian Christian theologian in the 4th century. So he lived from about 306 to 373 AD. So he recorded this history of Thomas dying in Syria just 250 years after it happened. So just to give you an understanding of how reliable that historical fact is, I just went on Google today and said, tell me something that happened in history 250 years ago. So giving about the same span of time. So in 1749, there was a French-Canadian explorer named La Vanderie who died at the age of 64. So I learned that. I've never heard anyone questioning historical facts that happened in 1749 before. Same gap of time between this Syrian Christian theologian and Thomas's death. Okay, so what we know about Thomas is that he witnessed the resurrection of Jesus, that he traveled to India to tell everybody about it, and then he was killed because he was so zealous for his faith. Okay, here's my question for you. What's your alternate history? Okay, there have been a couple other alternate histories that have been supposed. In other words, there's people who say that the disciples created an elaborate hoax about the resurrection. The problem with that theory is if they created an elaborate hoax, it was such a grand hoax that they actually died for it. You might make something up to trick people. You'd have to be a crazy person to die for it. Here's the other supposed track that you could take your mind down. And that is that the disciples were hallucinating. Here's the problem with that. People don't all hallucinate the same thing at the same time. Okay, so what we have in this narrative is 10 guys in a room hallucinating that Jesus rose from death and then Thomas, eight days later, hallucinating the same thing. That would be the strangest hallucination that has ever happened in human history. In fact, there's no category for that type of hallucination in science. Here's the third thing. The whole thing's made up. Jesus never lived, Jesus never died, Jesus never rose. It just so happened that there were a number of different writers who claimed to have witnessed the same thing, who put together this mythological story, and somewhere down the road, people looked back on that and actually thought that they were courting history. Let me tell you, those guys would have had to be the most brilliant people of all time if that was the case, because it's the best myth that's ever been written. Okay, so those are really your options. I think 
the most rational of those options is to take the biblical story. So here's what I'm saying. The Christian faith is rational. But here's what we all know. We know what C.S. Lewis knew. It's not enough. It's not enough just to know the facts. There's something a little bit more difficult about Christian faith when we start to wave into it, wade into it, that makes it a little bit more complex. So let's look at that next. The difficulty of faith. Okay, so we've, we've already said this. We don't think that Christian faith is a leap in the dark. It's not baseless optimism. There's some rationality behind it. But there's something that's added here to our understanding of faith that sort of throws a wrench in it for some of us. So Thomas had walked with Jesus for three years. He saw all the miracles. He saw Jesus walk on the water. He saw Jesus heal people. He heard all of Jesus' teaching. And from what we know, before Jesus died on the cross, he was convinced that Jesus was the Son of God. Do you know what the problem in this moment for Thomas is? He's depressed. He is so overwhelmed with sadness because he's just lost his best friend, his teacher, his mentor, that when confronted with the facts, even from his 10 other friends who come to him and say, Jesus is alive, he can't get over his hopelessness. You see, there's this dynamic to our individuality, to our temperaments, that there could be facts presented to us, but we are the sort of people that get so overwhelmed that sometimes we don't even care about the facts. In fact, some of you feel that way a lot. You're like, I'm so overwhelmed with my own life, I don't even care about this Jesus stuff. I just care about that I don't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I care that it's stinking cold outside. I care that there's problems in my family. And all of those things are so overwhelming to you. You'd be like, I don't even care about your first point, Pastor Drew. Okay? It doesn't even matter to me. All right? That whole rationality thing, scientific arguments, you watch your YouTube videos, just leave me alone with that stuff. All right? Because we understand that there's a complexity to who we are. And we actually see that in Thomas. He would be able, if you sort of gave him the checkboxes, like, well, okay, let's go back through this, Thomas. Like, did Jesus walk on water? Yes, he did. What does that tell us about Jesus? Well, he's a super powerful guy. Probably God. But in this moment, he doesn't care about any of those things. He cares that he feels incredibly hopeless. But Jesus doesn't leave him there. He's got all the facts. His friends are telling him that the facts are true. It's been eight days. He's sitting in this room. It's like any other day. He's still feeling hopeless. 
and he has an encounter with Jesus. You see, the difficulty of faith is that it takes the facts to have faith, but it takes much more than the facts. Something that's completely outside of your control. Genuine biblical faith starts with an encounter with Jesus. Thomas encountered Jesus face to face. It is possible for you to encounter Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. He talks to people today. He encounters them. He stops them in their tracks. And when you see Jesus face to face, what begins to happen is all of your hopelessness floods away from you. And you see with absolute clarity that this person, Jesus, God of the universe, is alive. And what does Thomas say to him? My Lord and my God. You see, maybe Thomas had believed all the facts about Jesus, but what he had never done before is bowed the knee to Jesus. Maybe Thomas still had his hands on his own life. He still wanted to do his own thing. But it wasn't until he encountered Jesus Christ that he gave his life to him. Let me illustrate this for you. I remember when I was a senior in college, it was the first time that I met my wife, Melissa. And I remember thinking she was great. I remember um, thinking she's a godly woman. She was on staff with the college ministry at the campus where I was going. And I knew the facts about her. I thought, she's great. She's fun to be around. She's pretty. You know, all those things. But honestly, it took me a while. I was dragging a little bit behind. I didn't have any feelings for her. And so what I tell people is her and her friends used to have these Sunday night dinners at their house. And so I would go over for the Sunday night dinner. And like any college guy, at first I was going for the food. Right? And so I'm like, what's on the menu for tonight? That was the main question that I had. And which of my friends are going to be there? Okay? Because at that point, I just knew the facts about Melissa. She's great. It's nice that she has me over for food. She makes a killer lasagna. Okay? But something happened one of those weeks. That moment happened, right? Where I'm just kind of like looking at her across the room like, Melissa. Mm. Yeah. Yes. I think so. Right? And what, what happened? Guys, the facts didn't change. She was the same exact person. But what happened? I had an encounter with Melissa. I started to fall in love with Melissa. Something changed in me. Something changed in my heart. This complex thing happened in me where I fell in love with her. That's what Christianity is. If you have never fallen in love with Jesus, you're not a Christian. If you never encountered Jesus, you're not a Christian. You might know all of the facts. You might have been around people who are following him for three years. You might be in the right community. But to become a Christian is to have a personal encounter 
with Jesus, which is what makes faith incredibly difficult. Because you can't control that. You're not in control of that. Jesus came eight days later. Why didn't he come three days later? Why didn't he come two days later? Why didn't he walk in right after Thomas came out of the bathroom? I don't know. So here's the question I have. If faith is both a rational pursuit and a difficult pursuit, how do we pursue Jesus? How do we grow in our faith, our love for Jesus? Or how do we meet him for the first time? And the book of John, it sort of closes this way, and it whets our appetite. This is what it says. I'm putting this under the the heading, the pursuit of faith. Verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Okay. So I said, Jesus literally showed up in front of this guy, Thomas, and it changed his life forever. He had an encounter with Jesus. And John is saying to us, we can have an encounter with Jesus through his word. The word of God is living and active. This is not a, a mere book. It's a book. It's got the facts in it, but it is alive. And here's what John is saying. Do you want to have an encounter with Jesus? Forget about everything else in your life. There is nothing more important than this. Read the Gospel of John. Read it. Not just for the facts, but for Jesus. Look at this book, and what I'm telling you is, you will discover the most wonderful person in the entire universe. This is not a dead, old book for smart white guys. This is a book for every person on the planet. And it is the place where you can come to know Jesus Christ. What I'm telling you is, if you have never read the Bible for yourself, and you say things like, well, I don't read the Bible because the Bible is just full of contradictions. You are toying with your eternity. That is the most irrational thing that you could possibly do. To sit in class, to be educated, to pursue knowledge, but not to pursue your creator and give him the time of the day is the definition of insanity. Here's what I'm telling you the Bible is like. People have said, this is just an old ancient book. Why would you spend time in it? Here's what I'm telling you my experience has been. I read this book by uh, a pastor who actually ministered just down the road from here, John Piper. It's called Reading the Bible Supernaturally. And this is the way that he describes the Bible. And I think it's a very helpful illustration. He says the Bible 
is like a window in a mountain chalet. Okay? What he means by that is by looking through the window, you will see beauty. You will see breathtaking beauty. And it's sort of a testimony of his. He said, I spent my life studying the Bible. And I have seen breathtaking beauty. But here's one of the keys to seeing that breathtaking beauty. That the Gospel of John has already unlocked and is also pointing toward in this passage. It's that you've got to know what you're looking for. The Bible isn't mainly a book of rules telling you how to live your life. The Bible isn't mainly a book of heroes telling you about all these amazing people who you are to emulate. The Bible is mainly about Jesus and how we as people can come to know him in personal relationship. We've already gone through this passage, John chapter 5, but I think it's a great passage to revisit to close out our series. This is what it says, John 5, 37 through 40. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Jesus was talking to some religious leaders in this conversation. And he's telling them, great, you know the facts. You've read the Bible. You're Bible quiz champions. You know all of the stories. But when the person that the Bible is pointing to is standing in front of you, you don't recognize him. You've missed the entire point of the Bible. This is crazy. Jesus said it. The entire Bible is about me. It's about Jesus. And he is the one that you're looking for. He is worth your search. And my encouragement to you is seek him while he can be found. Because if you seek him and you seek him with all of your heart, he promises in his word that he will encounter you and it will change your life forever. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this passage about Thomas. Thank you that we can relate to him. We are often skeptics, full of doubt. We might even have the facts straight, believe the right things. But if we're honest with ourselves, God, we feel like we rarely encounter you. And that's because we're distracted by our own hopes, our own dreams, our own sorrows, our own petty things in life. Would you, by your grace, Jesus, just turn our gaze so that we can look out of the window of the cabin of life and see the breathtaking beauty of who you are, Jesus, that we can be captured for the first time or recaptured by who you are 
that we can encounter you and fall in love with you in a fresh way. In Jesus' name, amen.